Maximum living. Is there really such a thing? Dr. Mark Joe. Jesus calls us to himself, and when we've found Jesus, we also begin to discover that in Jesus, there is a mission to serve him, and our life takes on a new purpose. Maximum living. That's our focus with Dr. Mark Job on Moody Presents. Hi, I'm John Geiger. Dr. Job is president of the Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. Now, we're heading today to Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It's the parable of the talents, making the most of what God gives us. Pastor Mark reminds us there's no such thing as a follower of Jesus who doesn't engage in his mission. Here's Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. This parable that Jesus taught, some of your Bibles have the words of Jesus in red. This story is all in red because it's directly Jesus' teaching and quotation found in Matthew uh, chapter 25. And this story is really, some people call it the parable of the talents. It's really not about talents as in America has talent. It's not about ability. Uh, talent was actually a coinage in the days of Jesus. It had to do with money, but it's symbolic of anything that God gives us. And so a talent in those days was worth about anywhere between 1500 to $2,000. And so this story is about a, a boss that distributes a certain amount of money to three of his servants and says, I want you to invest this money and I want you to make the most out of this money. And then the master comes back to check on how they've been doing with their investments. I believe really this parable is all about making the most of what God gives us. You see, I've discovered that a lot of people well, a lot of people don't understand the concept that they have been called for a purpose. I, I believe that some people don't believe they've been called. When we talk about have you been called, we think of missionaries and pastors, but we don't think of plumbers, electricians, school teachers, and stay-at-home moms. But I believe that we've all been called. In fact, I believe that Jesus calls Everybody who's willing to listen and respond to his call, he calls us to himself. The first call of God is to his son, Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus called disciples. He called, for example, Peter and Andrew were brothers and they were fishermen. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... I've been to the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful sea, and they still do a lot of fishing there. Peter and Andrew were going about their trade. They were fishermen, casting the nets, typical men without a super high degree of education. They learned the craft and their trade from their parents. They had the tools of their trade, the boat, the nets. They had done this for years. They knew how to do it well, and as they were fishing, Jesus walked by them. Now, they were familiar with Jesus. Most scholars believe they'd heard about Jesus and heard his teaching, and Jesus stopped and saw these two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 4. It says, he saw the two brothers. 
Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, come and follow me. Then Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now there's several things about this passage that really get my attention. Number one, that Jesus was so bold to call them from whatever they were doing on the spot and say, come and follow me. The other thing that strikes me is that they would do it. That they left their nets, they left their boat, they got off and they started following Jesus. The other interesting thing about it is that Jesus uses their language. He says, come and follow me. And I want you to notice this. Jesus first calls them to himself and then implicit in his call is their call to a mission. Come and follow me and I will send you out to be fishers of men. Now, probably if there were plumbers, he'd say, come and follow me and I will teach you to fix people's inner faucet. If they were financials investors, he'd say, come and follow me, and I will teach you how to help people build an eternal treasure. He uses the language of their trade, but what he's telling them is, first of all, come to me, and once you've come to me, I'm going to send you out into mission. There is no such thing as a follower of Jesus that doesn't engage in the mission of Jesus. Jesus calls us to himself. And when we've found Jesus, we also begin to discover that in Jesus, there is a mission to serve him, and our life takes on a new purpose. Jesus calls him to himself, and in Jesus, and in our experience of knowing Jesus and his lordship in our life is where we discover the bigger purpose for our life, and Jesus sends us on mission to himself. What I run into oftentimes is people that discover they want a relationship with God through Jesus, but they don't understand that following Jesus puts them on mission. So they come to God and they say, well, I found God, but they want to keep living their life just as they lived it before. And see, if you come to God and you don't live on mission, then you start living aimlessly or purposelessly. I believe that one of the challenges of this generation is that there's a lot of aimless people that have no purpose in their life. If you have no bigger purpose in life, if you have no aim in life, no purpose beyond yourself, then all you want to do is have fun with your time. So the young teenager that has no purpose and is aimless in their life, they just, well, they live from party to party. What's your purpose? To have fun next weekend. What's your purpose next weekend? Well, to have fun at the next party I go to. And they live their life pretty much going from party to party, from fun to fun. And what happens in their partiness is that, well, that party gets a little tiring after a while, so you need to pump it up a little bit. And so I, I elevate the drug intake, elevate the alcohol intake, elevate the party scene, and pretty soon I find myself addicted and still purposeless. Now I'm feeding my addiction, but I still have no big aim or purpose in life because I'm living aimlessly. 
I believe there's a lot of Christians also that come to Christ but live aimlessly. They live without understanding that there's a bigger purpose, a vision, a call upon their life. So if you don't understand that there's a bigger purpose and a call upon your life, you come to God and you say, well, it's nice to know that my sins are forgiven. And it's nice to be able to pray and know that God is up there on my side. So I'm just going to go about living my life and having God on my side. And so I get a job and hopefully succeed at my job and I buy a house and maybe if I'm successful, I get a boat and I'm able to go on the weekends out to the boat and maybe I get a couple nice vacations and I get a cottage out in Florida and then when I'm 65, I retire, play golf and then I die. And you say, well, pastor, what's wrong with that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you, there's not a lot of right with that either. Because in essence, I've just lived my life for myself. Lived, made money, and died. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. Your life is bigger than that. Your life is more than that. Your life has greater significance than just reaching some degree of financial success. You have a calling and a destiny and a purpose and gifts. You are part of a bigger plan that God has called you to. You are a person with a call on your life, and I want you to understand that. I don't know what that call is. That call may look different for all of us here. It may look very different. Um, you may be a stay-at-home mom, and God has a call upon your life. At that season of life, you may be an artist and God has a call upon you as an artist. You may be a business person and God has a call upon you as a business person or as an entrepreneur or as an educator or as a coach. I, I don't know what your season of life is and it doesn't mean that when you come to Christ and you're a plumber that you have to get out of plumbing. It just means that you do more than just plumbing. You have a bigger vision and purpose in your life than just plumbing. Plumbing is a part of it, but you have a bigger vision and purpose than just plumbing. Are you with me here? Because this is really important. I believe that we're all called to serve God. I believe that we're all called to ministry, not necessarily to vocational ministry, not necessarily to full-time ministry, but we're all called to be fully engaged in ministry. I gave my life to Christ when I was 15, 15 years old. I didn't have a real tremendous testimony in terms of radical change. I, you know, there's some testimonies that, hey, I was, I was smoking pot when I was 10, got on hardcore drugs when I was 12, went to prison when I was 13, ran a prostitution ring when I was 14, led a gang when I was 15, and then came to Christ. I did it. My parents were Christians. I wasn't like this real rambunctious guy out there. I gave my life to Christ. But something happened when I gave my life to Christ at the age of 15. Something compelling happened. In myself, in my heart, I knew that if I gave my life to Christ, that I was giving my purpose and my destiny and my vision to God and that God was going to do something. I didn't know exactly what God was going to do, but it was a few years later 
that there was visions that God began to put in my heart. I had no desire to really be in Chicago, but I still remember the, the moment and the time where God put on my heart, would you love this city and put on my heart a burden and a passion to see thousands of people in the city of Chicago come to know Jesus Christ. And I was, I was young. I was probably 21 years, 20 years old when that happened, but I knew there was a vision to impact people, a vision to touch people's lives. Oh, thank you. I, I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but in my heart, I knew that I would throw myself into that and that God was going to do something through that. And so at 21, I started pastoring a little church, but in my heart, I knew, I saw a vision. There's something bigger. There's going to be thousands of people that are going to come to Christ. I can't explain it. I just knew that I was to throw myself into it and that God was going to do something. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the experience. We didn't have a big team. We didn't have a lot of know-how or experience, but I had the faith and a vision and the sense of I knew God was calling me towards it. Faith and a vision. Those very qualities Pastor Mark Job describes are what an education at Moody Bible Institute is all about. Hey, just a quick reminder that the Moody Bible Institute has all sorts of continued education options for training and ministry. Check out all we have to offer at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Now, back to Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. I believe that when God calls us to himself... God will always give us a purpose and a vision bigger than ourselves, and we are to go out there with audacious, bold faith and believe God for the things that he's called us to do. All of us in this place. So, in light of that, I want you to understand what Matthew chapter 25 tells us. I call it maximum living. And so I'm going to give you a couple, of, a couple of important points on how to maximize your living for God as you per- pursue the vision and the purposes he has for you. Number one, write this down. Not everyone has been given equal opportunities, but everyone is equally responsible for what they have. Not everybody's given equal opportunities. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same talents. We haven't all been given the same educational opportunities. We haven't all been given the same open doors or closed doors. People come at different phases at different places. So you may have a lot more opportunities than someone else has. But let me tell you what you're not responsible. You're not responsible for what you don't have. You are responsible for what you do have. In this parable, the master gives one person five bags of gold, another person two bags of gold, and a third person one bag of gold. In other words, he gives them different opportunities different abilities, different resources. The person with two bags of gold is not responsible for five, only two. The person with one bag of gold is only responsible for one bag of gold, not two bags of gold. I run into people that spend too much time concerned about what they don't have and not enough time concerned about what they do have and what they're doing with what they have. I run into people that say, well, Pastor, I can't really talk very well. I can't sing. I don't play an instrument. 
my family was kind of messed up, and you excuse yourself out of God using you. You make it sound like you have nothing to give. You're telling me all the things you don't have, and I want to tell you that God doesn't hold you responsible for what you don't have. But I don't want to hear what you don't have. I want to hear what you have. Oh, I don't have a lot. Well, dig a little deeper, because I believe you have something. I believe every person is made in the image of God. I believe that you have dignity, and I believe that you have a skill, and you have a gift, and you have a calling, and there's something about you that's unique that can contribute to others. I know that, but I want you to know that as well, and I want you to look at what you have, and I want you to sanctify it to God and say, God, this is what I have to offer you, and what I have, I give it to you. It may be not as much as that person has. It may be more than what that person has, less than what that person has, but what I have, I give to you. I am responsible for what you give to me, not for what you don't give to me. And there's some of you that some of you here that really, really need to understand that and really, really need to know that, that the master gave to each of them different resources. You're only held responsible for what God gives you, not for what he doesn't give you. So look at what you have first. Number two, every season of grace leads to an unavoidable moment of accountability. The Bible says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Let me talk to you about periods of grace. There are periods of grace in which you will not be held accountable yet. But at the end of every period of grace is accountability. Some of you are in school, and maybe it's your freshman year of college, and you've discovered at your big college that they don't take attendance in class. Yee-ha. Now, your parents haven't figured this out there. They think you're in class every day, but you've discovered my school doesn't even take attendance. So I don't even have to show up in class. I can live in a dorm, stay up all night, sleep during the day, party at the frats, and ask someone that attends the class or get online to figure out what my homework is due and I don't really have to go to class. And you think that the people that are going to class and doing their homework, they're a bunch of chumps that haven't figured out the system yet because you're living in a period of grace right now. And so you're staying up late, having a good time, laughing while some people are in the library studying and you're thinking you are so dumb. If you just discovered what I'm doing, man, you'd be having a lot of fun because during the period of grace, it seems like no matter what you do, there's no consequences. But every period of grace comes to an end and then there is an unavoidable accountability. For that person in college, it's finals. And now all your papers are due and you have to do a final exam and you realize I don't know anything that they're talking about. And so the accountability comes in and you have to give an account and when you show your parents a D, you have to explain why you got a D. There's a period of accountability. You may be at a job and it's a sales commission job. 
and you're thinking, hey, this guy is getting up at six o'clock in the morning, making phone calls, visiting people, talking to account managers, really hustling, and I'm just kind of laying on the beach once in a while, emailing someone saying, hey, have you ever thought about this? And you're thinking, wow, this is great, this is nice, because you're in a period of grace, but the time will come where your sales commission has to come in, and that's accountability time comes in. Some of you are living your Christian life, and you feel like you're trying to live for God be honest, do what's right, live right, and some people that are cheating and lying and stabbing people in the back, you feel like they're getting ahead more than you're getting ahead, and you're trying to do things right, and you say, see, it doesn't make sense. I'm trying to do things right, and they're lying, cheating, and they're doing better than I'm doing because the season of accountability hasn't kicked in. But it will kick in because at the end of every season of grace, there is a season of accountability. The master will show up one day. Some people are living their life and they don't understand that at the end of every life, you will stand before a judge. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment, that all of us will give account for our life. We will give account for how we've lived our lives. You see, the period of grace ends, accountability sets in. In this parable, what Jesus is explaining is that there may be a season in which you feel like what you're doing has no consequences to it. But Jesus is trying to remind them that you are responsible for what God has given you and you will give account for what you've done with what he's given you. So the master shows up. He comes back unexpectedly. The period of grace is over. Leads me to number three. Faith-driven rather than fear-driven management of our lives is what earns rewards. So the master shows up, the period of grace is over, and suddenly these three stewards have to give account for what they've done with what they've had. The master approached one servant and the servant says, you gave me five bags of gold I've worked, invested, planted, sown seeds. It was a lot of work, but I have doubled your investment. Here you have 10 bags of gold. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my happiness. He goes to the servant of two bags of gold. The servant of two bags of gold said, I've sweated. It's been hard. I was a little bit worried, but I knew I could do this. I invested, I worked, I sowed what, with what you gave me. I knew I could double it. I knew I could do something with this. And so he doubles it. Here's four bags of gold. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my happiness. And then he comes to the third person who had one bag of gold. And he comes to the master and he says, hey, I have one bag of gold here. I was afraid. I heard that you are demanding, that you want an investment on your return, that you want to reap where you haven't sowed, and so I was afraid to lose what you gave me, so I buried it. Here is your bag of gold. The boss says, you lazy, wicked servant. If you knew that I was going to expect from you, if you knew that I was good in demand from you, why didn't at least you put it in the bank and get some interest from it? You have wasted what I gave to you. In essence, what the boss is saying is you have done nothing with what I gave to you. 
You haven't used it. You haven't multiplied it. You haven't invested it. You haven't taken it and maximized it. You have wasted your talents, wasted your abilities, wasted your intellects, wasted your vision, your faith. You've operated out of fear rather than faith. And so what you have, I'm taking away from you. And then Jesus says something really that seems almost counterintuitive. Those that have will be given more. Those that do not have it will be taken away. What's Jesus saying? This is not about the poor and the rich. This is about the faithful and the unfaithful. Hello, let me say that again. This is not about wealth distribution unfairly. This is about faithfulness and unfaithfulness. This is about the person that takes what they have and they use it. God says, I'm going to look at how you use your life and your vision and your time and your talents. And if you're maximizing it, I'm going to pour more into it. But if you're not using it, I'm going to take what you have and give it to another. My fourth point is this. The key to our future is the stewardship of your present opportunities. So he looks at them and he says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who had 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance and whoever does not have even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a sign of deep regret and torment of the soul. Well, that's no place to stay, is it? So how can we avoid ultimate regret? We'll find out as we return to Matthew 25 next time with Dr. Mark Job here on Moody Presents. But you can hear today's message again online at moodypresents.org. I'm John Geiger, inviting you back for encouragement next time from Matthew chapter 25. God has called you to be part of a bigger plan That's our theme then. See you next time for Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.